It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Okay, welcome back everyone to the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I'm here once again uh, with Marty Wutke. Uh, we've already done one uh, session with Marty where we talked about essentially the neuroscience of Kriya Yoga and meditation. Um, Marty is the founder of the Wutke Institute. He is the author of the Brain Sutras, which is going to be our topic today. He's also a CSA minister and a Kriya Yoga teacher and is currently in the process of creating and developing the Infinite Potential Institute. So thank you very much, Marty, for being here again with me today. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so to get started, you know, the main topic I wanted to go over was the book that you wrote called The Brain Sutras. Um, so, so if you don't mind, uh, tell me a little bit about that book. What, what was the inspiration behind it for you? Um, the inspiration was a, uh, a talk that Paramahansa Yogananda gave uh, a long time ago in the 20s, and he repeated this many, many times. But it was, uh, it was um, highlighted in the documentary movie Awake, The Life of Yogananda. Most people have seen that. And he said uh, very simply, and remember, this was back in the 1920s, he said that, um, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, uh, the brain and the spine are the altar of God. And then he expounds on that, says, you know, that's the pathway. Uh, what Kriya Yoga is about is about reversing this flow of life force, always going out through the senses to the world and reversing that flow back in. And he talked about uh, the brain in more detail, uh, specifically even in, mentioned in Autobiography of a Yogi, the medulla oblongata as the mouth of God. So since my field is neuroscience and the brain, um, that's really what I have, even though I do a lot of clinical work, um, that inspired me to go a little bit deeper into, um, into the brain. And, you know, the brain is, is, is this instrument of the mind. The mind is uh, an instrument of the soul, or at least um, sort of the technology that the soul uses <laughs> to express. But the right, brain right. is there. It's this physical instrument. So the brain sutras uh, came to me back in 2016. I said, well, you know, there's all kinds of sutras out there. And sutra, you know, means thread. Um, uh, there's the heart sutras, the uh, Patanjali's yoga sutras, and I'm sure there's more out there. But I started to really um, think about uh, how consciousness is is manifesting through the brain and nervous system, and specifically looking very closely at um, what Paramahansa Yogananda was saying. And of course, I went to our guru, Roy Davis, and talked to him a lot about this. And I also, I picked up some um, rather uh, obscure literature. I actually happen to have it right here. This is a, a book, um, it's a Tamil classic. And uh, I don't know that you can get it anymore. I got it at the Him, uh, Himalayan Academy on Kauai. And it's called the um, Tiramantaram. Uh, thousands of years old. They don't, they're not sure who wrote it. But 
it's obscure language. And if the translation is correct, they're talking about the brain, mm. about that, that higher states of consciousness manifest when you hit these certain cavities and points in the brain. And then you see an inner light and you hear an inner sound and you may go to another local or another state of consciousness. And I started to, to see that, that, that this is information that's been there for thousands of years. So anyway, all that put together in 2016 inspired me to, and, and to be honest with you, I really wrote Brain Sutras as an exercise for myself. I just right. wanted to see if I could put this information down. And I wrote a, a sutra each weekend. So it took me a year, 2016. And then um, I, I made it into a blog. People looked at it on the internet and said, you really need to think about publishing this. And my wife, uh, who's also a neuroscientist, she, she went ahead and got it edited and published. I have to rewrite it some, but, but that's how it came about. And um, it's actually selling quite a few copies. It's just on Amazon and Kindle. All right. and I get good feedback from people. Uh, so it, 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 um, it, it was a launching pad, uh, hopefully for a lot more information down the road. Right. Well, that book that, that you mentioned um, within it, uh, how does it discuss um, accessing this idea of the brain is using things like mantras or breath awareness, pranayama? Yes, all, all, all that one-pointed awareness. Uh -huh. um, I'm going to... Uh, do my own translation. Good. Obviously, yeah. whoever translated this, uh, it was colored. But to me, it seems pretty accurate. It was, and it was translated, uh, or at least it was published by the Ramakrishna Mission, which of course we can we can trust them. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it really goes into into um, multiple uh, approaches, mm -hmm. not, not just one approach. Yeah. Right. And so with the brain sutras, um, you know, you said that you wrote uh, one sutra a weekend over the course of a year. Um, what are some of the, the main themes, you know, if people are going to get this book and read it and study it, what are some of the main important themes that, you know, you, you really wanted to, to share and, and talk about within this book? Well, I think what, what I was really trying to point out <clears throat> was this, um, this notion that we have, that we have to find uh, our higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, somewhere out there, you know, it's going to take hours and hours, years and years, lifetimes upon lifetimes of meditation, self-discipline, so on and so on. And what I was trying to point out in that book is the, the consciousness that is enlivening us is that. Right. <laughs> right. You know, that's simple. It's like Ramana Maharishi, you know, quit looking. What's looking? He would ask, you know, seekers, what's looking? Mm -hmm. Quit ask, quit looking. Just what is looking? When you find that, you'll have your answer to everything, the key to every door. So really, you know, I, I, that, that was the main thing, that um, you are that. You already are, right. always have been, never cannot be. Right. And the life force that is manifesting the life force that's behind our sight, behind our hearing, behind our speaking. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the divine. And that's what we all share. And we don't have to look outside for it by our very nature. Our nervous systems have been designed to trans transfer that into this material realm. 
Right. You know, I was recently asked by a student, um, she, she had been interested in Kriya Yoga and she's been practicing. And she asked me one time uh, about the, the origins of these techniques and these practices as though, are they specific say to Lahiri Mahasaya and, and so on. And I, I referred her back to the podcast we did already on the, the neuroscience of uh, meditation and Kriya Yoga and how the way the techniques work, they, they allow you to, to realize that. And what I've noticed is um, when discussing this with people, when you start saying things like you are that, well, oftentimes they kind of say, well, then why should I do anything at all <laughs> if, if, if I am that? But the, the practices of Kriya Yoga and the Yoga Sutras, you know, these are all technologies which allow you to really experience it versus just think about it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I wanted to hear what you had to say. <laughs> no, I've, I've had people get mad at me for saying, oh, you are that, quit looking. And they're like, right. <laughs> you know, that. Um, so I agree, you know, you can have an intellectual understanding of that. I think it's important to, um, to you know, know the truth. Uh, but like you say, to have an experience of it is a whole different ballgame. And Roy, Roy Davis used to say, I've heard him say it hundreds of times, it's just a shift in perspective. Right. Um, okay. Uh, but it's a profound shift in perspective. <laughs> right. It's like night and day. It's, it's truly waking up. So when you, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, all that you've learned, um, not just, not just about Kriya Yoga, but all you've learned about neuroscience and, and how that functions. Um, you know, I've done certain breathing exercises where it was very easy then after doing those breathing exercises to see, this inner light, whether that's brain produced phenomena, whether it's, you know, a manifestation of the own vibration. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, but these things, these things help kind of push you into that shift of perspective. So when that happens, um, how, how does one take it from kind of the mechanical approach to the process to where they've set up their body such that now it can experience a light or hear the ohm or experience these sounds like the yogis discuss? How does one take it from that to now going into it such that it becomes an experience that's transcendent, that's not necessarily dependent upon the physical form, or is that not how it works? Does that question um, make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. But you do have to remember it is somewhat dependent upon the physical form. Right. Because that's what we're, we're um, manifesting through. Mm -hmm. We can't, you know, unless all we suddenly have, you know, what is uh, colloquially, uh, you know, called the um, out-of-the-body experience when we're meditating, uh, which really isn't. It's, it's just another shift of perspective, shift of awareness. But I think we, we are, um, you know, some of these, the inner lights, inner sounds, and so on, are um, chemical, electrical manifestations. Right. Um, where things begin to change, though, is when you know as we've we've been taught when we always seek to go beyond and beyond and beyond mm -hmm. and then you start uh, approaching the transcendental realms which is definitely different and metaphysical it is beyond the physical and has a tangible uh, experience whether it's bliss um you know uh, uh realization of wholeness of completeness that that's you know the goal it's not the light and the sound that's not the goal the goal is to keep going beyond that 
to to uh, the highest state that we can go in that particular meditation. Right. So, but it, it has to start through the physical organ. The physical organism has to um, get in line. Mm -hmm. um, some of the you know the the vrittis, uh, the waves, yoga chitta yoga They have to cease, and that is a physical thing. That is, you know, you can see it on an EEG, all the, the noise in the brain. And so through the through our yoga techniques, uh, breathing, mantra, so on and so forth, finally that ceases and then we can go beyond, we can transcend. And I remember in our last discussion, uh, I, believe you, I believe you talked about maybe it was a, a Buddhist monk who uh, was so filled with compassion that it was like that area of his brain that deals with compassion, like was having like a seizure. Yeah. Is that, so when in his experience, was it the, just the constant generation of the sense of compassion that did that? Or does one have to bring attention you know, to, to, to regions of the brain, like actually feel the crown or feel the frontal lobes or feel well, the parietal? How's it work? Well, you can, but I don't, I think that, I think that that particular monk didn't do that. He yeah. didn't say, oh, let me find the compassion center in the brain. Right. You know, he just was compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and so, you know, whatever, whatever you let your mind go to for extended periods of periods of time, that part of your brain is going to develop more real estate to handle that. Um, I think, uh, again, um, Roy was very, uh, Roy Davis was very uh, intent uh, during almost every meditation I've ever been to with, with frontal lobes, prefrontal yeah. lobes, bring your attention here. Well, it's the seat of uh, intuition, focus, concentration, motivation, and yes, there are studies that show the, the, the frontal lobes actually increase in mass mm. with meditators. And in, actually in a relatively short period of time, something like 11 cumulative hours of meditation. Mm. Um, so, the, you know, these parts of the, the, the brain um, are going to um, accommodate whatever, wherever our intention or attention goes. It's an interesting thing that happens too. Um, uh, uh, at, at, during the death experience, when we prepare to leave our bodies, um, for, you know, usually first the heart goes, but the brain doesn't go for several minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and right before death, a phenomena occurs, this huge burst of electrical energy. Mm -hmm. um, and also the last center in the brain to go is the, the memory center, particularly for very strong emotional memory which sort of explains the unraveling of our, uh, you know, people report, I saw my lifetime go in fast motion and all the stuff that happened and, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have been so mean to my mother. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so these, are, these are brain centers. And uh, the, the death process is quite interesting. It, 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 science is taking another look at it. It's not just cardiac arrest. The brain stays around for up to 10 minutes afterward, it depends on the study that you look at. Right. But this, this sort of pinpoints your, um, you know, your, your question, what, what about these parts of the brain? What do they do? What happens there? All right. And when, again, it's been a long time since I've been in college, <laughs> but I remember uh, taking some uh, uh, brain physiology classes or neuroscience classes, 
and I can't remember the exact um, I can't remember the exact region, but I think I had uh, seen or heard about uh, if you bring a, a attention to the crown or, or some area around here that it either it either shuts down or it stimulates uh, an experience such that one experiences boundlessness or, or freedom. Does that? Yes. You're, okay. Yeah. So is, is that just the crown chakra or is that a particular Well, it's the parietals, particularly the, parietals. the right parietal here. Okay, okay. That is, uh, you can stimulate that area with electrodes and somebody will suddenly experience uh, a loss of, of boundaries. So would that, I mean, would that work in that one focuses on, like our, feels that region with their awareness, would that kind of a thing happen? Or does one simply need to, like, for example, in uh, Roy's book, um, The Science of self realization when he talks about the Shandilya Upanishad, there's a, a line there that says one of the best ways to meditate is essentially to imagine that you're free in like you're boundless, you're free in space. There's no sense of body. Would that, does it go both ways and you can focus yeah. on the brain or you can just feel that? I think it goes both ways. Okay. Um, there's a, um, a fellow from Princeton who um, developed a very interesting technique, I can't think of his name right now, not sort of a, a self-awareness technique where you started by imagining all the space around your thumb, then between your fingers, then around your body, and then on and on, you know, kind of like that meditation that Roy uh, uh, learned from Yogananda, this mm -hmm. expansion. And that, that's exactly what that was, was um, tapping into those parts of the brain and then experiencing this this boundlessness. Right. So I do. I think it goes both ways. I think that that that's a very accurate statement. So in a sense, uh, you know, if a person wants to experience something like boundlessness or freedom or bliss, uh, you know, I know that those aren't really the goal, but it, it can be helpful to inspire people along the way. Then what they need to do is find a way internally to actually start either imagining that or feeling that or making it real within themselves ahead of time. Yes, definitely. Okay. That, um, you know, and uh, I think the, the next thing that I write will um, also bring in some heart issues because the heart is a very important organ. It, the heart and the brain are really communicating and the rest of the body as well. But it seems that the heart is, is rather significant. Um, so I want to look, uh, research that some, look um, more dynamically and closely at that. Um, you know, there's, there's many meditations that focus just on the heart. Mm -hmm. There is, of course, the Heart Math Institute. Right. And so focusing on the heart will also do uh, very interesting things because of its connection with the brain mm -hmm. and because of how it is also a processor of emotion. The thing about the heart, though, and the brain, there, there are differences. I once had somebody ask me, they were very disturbed when I was spending, you know, all this time talking about the brain, you know, what about the heart? What about the heart? And I said, well, here's the thing. Um, you can transplant a heart and for the most part still be you. Right. I don't think you can do that with the brain just now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of a... A, a wise guy answer but it hit me in that moment that mm -hmm. there's a lot of truth to that at least as far as our personality and conditionings and programming go they're in the brain right. heart is very important organ i'm not saying anything negative mm -hmm. um, and i think for certain meditations it's quite powerful but i'm i, I think that's what i want to work on now uh 
once I'm, I'm get through the few other projects and start trying to tie those together. Right. And that's interesting. You, you bring up the heart because I've, you know, going through the yoga sutras and um, that chapter three, where they talk about the cities or the soul powers. And there's, there's a few sections in there where they discuss, well, by meditating on the point of the navel, you know, the mm. body develops resilience and strength by developing, by meditating on the, the point in the throat. Uh, and I believe it's develops a steadiness in, in concentration. I could be wrong about mm. that one, but they kind of point out these different centers as having uh, an experience on uh, one's capacity and then develops what they call soul powers, which I think are really just the technology of the human being happening. Um, Have you, have you heard or read or thought anything about those different spaces? Like I know the navel is important in other traditions as well. Well, yes. And um, you know, in in Taoism in uh, Qigong, the the Ming Mian and the lower Dantian, you know, there's correlations uh, although I think they, they're different manifestations on different planes. You know, the chakras are one thing and then the Dantians are another thing. But here's the thing. Yeah. <clears throat> in, our, in our brain, we have a homunculus. Mm-hmm. Homunculus is an area, there's a couple of them. There's a sensory motor area and then there's two strips that go down the side. And those areas correspond with the entire body. And you can, you know, stimulate certain areas and, and either feel things or make certain parts of the body move or smell things or hallucinate and so on. So I, I, I begin to think that um, when, I, when I look at all this, that focusing on these parts of the body is also focusing on certain areas of the brain. Right. It's really not happening down there. It's, it's in here. And, and those kinds of experiences... Um, are, are sort of like gateways, uh, you know, in, in, the, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras to cities. Like mm-hmm. you say, though, these are normal technologies in the body. Mm-hmm. But they, they take us to different levels, and, and I think it's the accessing these areas of the brain that, that are the most powerful. You know, when we do the Kriyas, we're polarizing, polarizing, polarizing. Well, that's happening in the brain and the mm-hmm. spine. Um, and it's creating this this, this uh, magnetic field, um, but it's it was also changing the brain on a very dynamic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and even you know I don't want to give away the kriya pranayama, but um, you know in kachari mudra, these these areas in the back of the throat correspond with nerves that go right to the brain and and trigger certain. Uh, or at least have something to do with certain mechanisms, uh, particularly the brainstem. So this is a technology that's quite fascinating. And we have all these techniques over here, and then we have neuroscience over here. Well, it's really all starting to come together now. Uh, we can see why we do certain things. Um, and, you know, the, my hope is that we can not speed things up, not bypass years and years of practice of yamas and niyamas and, you know, go, go right to the uh, higher states of consciousness without the appropriate preparation. But I think we can fine tune the process a little bit so that we're not running off the road. Um, okay. so say, more, say more about that. What do you mean fine tune the process so we're not running off the road? Um, if we really understood the brain mm-hmm. uh, and right now, what's happening in the world is, is a very good example because collectively 
there is, uh, you know, there's a lots of different manifestations of emotions, but um, the, the probably the biggest one is threat. You know, we are being this is a big threat. Um, so, you know, there's many, many videos and YouTubes and meditations and so on, trying to really point out that look, um, it's triggering a lot of survival mechanisms in our bodies. And if we understand them, we don't have to go with them necessarily. We can learn how to maneuver through this, um, learn how to, to maintain our immunity, which is hugely important right now, and how to actually use this situation for our own development. Um, and so, th so that's sort of what I mean, that if we understand the brain and the nervous system, we can be more conscious of, of, of what we're doing with it because it's, it's super important that the brain and nervous system be as balanced as possible in order for us to go higher and higher and higher or deeper and deeper and deeper, however you want to look at it. So that's, that's really what I'm referring to. If we really understand this, you know, we will be like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know why I keep um, not doing what I'm supposed to be doing or uh, my meditations are full of noise and junk and so on and so on. I mean, if we really understand the brain and nervous system, we can apply um, uh, knowledge. We can also apply technology and tools to, to, to try to uh, quiet some of these things so that we can move through our spiritual growth process much more quickly. Well, I mean, what you're, what you're talking about brings up, in my mind, the, the idea of training. training. In that, you know, just like uh, if, you, if you want to achieve a goal or develop a skill, well, you're going to be terrible at it in the beginning. And so you have to keep repeating it over and over and over again until you get the patterns in your muscles or in your body or in your life experience. And, mm -hmm. you know, many people, I'm, I'm sure you've probably experienced this too, in a sense, it, it seems to me like sometimes they, they want the meditation path to be easy or the yogic path to be easy. And they think of people like Yogananda or Roy Davis or Ramana Maharshi. Well, he might not be the right <laughs> example here. But people who, people who when you read the, the stuff that they did early on, they were meditating for hours at a time. And they were, trying, they were practicing the yamas and niyamas. And they were, they were accessing these characteristics of consciousness described in the Bhagavad Gita that, that by developing them, it allowed these higher states of consciousness to be realized. So you know, what you're saying makes me think of uh, just that, that it's about learning what it takes to, say, become one-pointed and then consistently developing that part of your nervous system or your brain so that you can do it, yeah? Exactly. Right. I, mean, I couldn't say it any better than that. That's exactly what, what we have to do. Right. So how do you inspire people to do that without putting them off by saying, you know, this is a lot of hard work? <laughs> or do you just say that and that's it? <laughs> no, I, I, I say what you, what you just said, and in, in, in maybe in different ways depending on the person. Yes, this is work, but the results of this will be evident fairly quickly, and you will see your life change. Um, so as best you can, you know, you, you motivate the people according to their particular needs and circumstance. Um, you know, my field is neurofeedback. So <clears throat> that is a, a great technology I've been applying for 35 years. That also is a way to, uh, and what I like about it and what I've always liked about it, 
and frankly, this is why Roy uh, encouraged me to do this 35 years ago, was it's a way to actually show the individual, okay, this is, this is your mind electrically. That's noisy, okay? This is very simple. I just want you to, to train and learn how to quiet and calm that down. And then you would see people, again, depending on the person, gradually uh, learn what it means to um, quiet down the nervous system. And then meditation comes easier. But I, I, and I'm sure you've had this too, I've had so many people come to me and, they, and when I say, you know, have you tried meditation? They say, oh, I can't do it. I can't meditate. And like you said, it's because they, they haven't trained themselves. It's very simple. Right. So I think that, um, that uh, you know, just being very gentle uh, with, with people um, and just saying, yes, it can be difficult at first. You can have a lot of stuff come up, uh, which I, I also try to, you know, uh, make people aware of just so that they're not thrown off right. when suddenly they have memories or something come up. But, but most people, um, uh, you know, they see the results fairly quickly. So, oh, For some reason, what you said brought up all kinds of things I wanted to discuss with you. But the first one I'd like to, to start with is uh, when you talk about um, <clears throat> things coming up in meditation, and that's... Um, you know, I've, 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 I've experienced that myself. I've heard other people experience it. And that wasn't really something that I remember Mr. Davis talking about a whole lot. Um, and so when that happens, uh, what I've seen people say, well, I've just had this Kundalini experience and now, now I, I'm, I'm angry all the time where I'm, and, and I want to say to them, maybe you need to talk to a counselor to help you work through that stuff since now it's become uh, in your awareness. So how do you approach that and how do you share that that is a possibility and it's not a problem. It's just part of the process. Yeah. I, I also encourage that. Um, again, it depends on the individual, but some people have a really traumatic repressed or suppressed memory. And, um, you know, I work with, uh, criminals, uh, parolees, and, um, there's this YouTube on right now. Um, I posted it where uh, at a prison in Northern California, they had all these prisoners stand in a big circle and there was a, a, a psychologist or a counselor in the middle and she had a microphone. She said, everybody who uh, was beaten as a child, take a step forward. They all stepped forward. Everybody who was told they were worthless, step forward. They all said, you know, and on and on and on. They were going through the aces. AC right. stands for adverse childhood experiences. Well, they, you know, by the end, it was pretty obvious. Right. So, and so as a rule, um, most teachers in, in, uh, that I know, and myself included, when I work with people who I know have traumatic experience, we either don't start with meditation, we start with hatha yoga, asanas, qigong, tai chi, right. uh, I've even heard some yogis say, start with karma yoga. Mm -hmm. Just start getting them to get a little, uh, little less into themselves. And, and then eventually they can learn to meditate. But if, you know, if I have somebody come into my office or that I'm working with, um, and, and they say, like you said, oh, my kundalini woke up too quick and now I'm all freaked out. You know, I don't buy that for one thing. Um, <laughs> but counseling is really important somatic work, body work, 
um, these things can be released. The problem is, depending upon the nature of the trauma, when it happened, they can be pretty stuck. Right. Um, and, and yes, you're right, Mr. Davis didn't talk about it a lot. Usually it was just get over it. Right. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> or, but he, but, you know, I, I've seen him, him write or say, get counseling. Right. Get counseling, you know. So that's a, that is, a, you know, that's a, a very important thing to be aware of. There, you know, and there are, there was a study out of the UK that said meditation is not good for you because there, there were some people in the study that had traumatic experiences right. and, it got, and they got worth. So, so, you know, it's those people who need to take a different approach mm-hmm. and, and work on some of these deep seated, you know, some scars is really what they are, deep seated pains. Right. Um, and oftentimes too, what can happen uh, is that you won't even know why you're angry or why you're sad or why you're depressed. Mm-hmm. And those do tend to be very um, early rooted uh, experiences that may per, uh, potentially didn't make it to um, verbal memory or just emotional memory. Those are the hard ones, but there are still therapies that can help people through them. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up ACEs. That was one thing that Melissa was doing a lot of pioneering work in, in Asheville with. And mm-hmm. for people who, who don't understand, I mean, that's essentially where you've got a scale from one to 10 and you kind of measure how many adverse childhood experiences you had. And sort of the higher those are, the more likelihood you are to have kind of health issues and also some uh, emotional processing issues too. Is that yeah, correct? And, and end up in prison. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, there are three themes, you, you know, them. um, uh, victim of abuse, witness of abuse, or neglect. Right. And neglect can be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, we just have to keep in mind that these things produce consequences. Um, so anyway, the, the YouTube is awesome. Uh, I, I don't know the name of it, but it's on, um, it's on, um, it's on Facebook, but uh, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere too. Okay. Well, maybe uh, we can check it out and you can email me a link and I can stick sure. it in the, uh, the, the comment okay. section here. But, um, cool. you know, one other thing that came up around this talk, and this is kind of a debatable issue, but, you know, when, when I've read the Yoga Sutras, at one point in time, I started with that, that first sutra where it says, and now instruction in yoga. And when I read that, it hit me one day. I thought to myself, you know, maybe this means that the, the people, when it's time to practice meditation or engage the eight limbs of yoga, that it's an indication that they've already done work such that they are prepared to begin the processes to achieve higher states of consciousness so that the idea of meditation and Kriya Yoga in and of itself is not healing, as in let's heal you. It is to experience higher realization. So then the work to be done is like you're saying, maybe some somatic work, body work, counseling, so that you're pretty balanced when you begin the process. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree. And I agree with you that translation of that, of that first uh, sutra. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've even seen Roy translate it that way. And now you're ready. Now yeah. you're ready. Right. You know, you're, you're there. You've, um, you know, you, 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 you've done the, the main, uh, um, objectives of life and now you're ready to move into this and then you know okay let's be honest here too there's probably a lot of stuff left over too yeah right you're ready <laughs> but um but you're, you're, you're resilient enough to handle it <laughs> <laughs> exactly um but you know i 
there's one of the uh, brain sutras where I write, look, even without being judgmental, even people who are following very, um, uh, how should I say, um, illusory forms of worship and or not, mm-hmm. um, we're all going to end up in the same place. Everything's teaching us. And if we just pay attention, uh, even the, the some of the, the craziest stuff out there is going to teach us that that's not the way to go. It's over here. Mm-hmm. So, and now the practice of yoga. So right. I, I really think that everything leads us to that path. And I mean, we know it does. So. Yeah. And I, I remember uh, when I got the Brain Sutras uh, about three or so months ago, I was reading through it. And um, so two things happened. I, I read that and then uh, I got a, another truth journal from CSA. And what struck me, which just makes obvious sense, is in the beginning of, of your text, if I'm remembering it correctly, and also a lot of what Roy taught, there are these very, these principles of essentially take care of the body, um, routine is helpful, uh, and I remember being at CSA and occasionally at a retreat hearing someone say, you know, Roy just talks about the same thing all the time. Uh, get, get your life in order, take care of your responsibilities, you know, manage your body as best you can. But that's extremely important because as you mentioned, that's that the body and the life is what's processing consciousness. So how, when you're, when you're teaching people and, and you're, you're explaining this to people, how do, you, how do you get that through that this is really the foundation of what is required to be able to start actually accessing or processing these higher states of consciousness? Well, pretty much just what you said, um, that, that this, this is technology. We're talking about transforming the, the mind and the nervous system. I mean, and, and it's not um, symbolic. It's quite literal. Right. We're transforming chemistry. So in order to do that, you know, these, these yogis and rishis and seers developed the Vedas, Ayurveda, Jyotish. These, these weren't meant to make people healthier. They were meant to prepare the body for those higher states of consciousness. Right. And, um, you know, I know what you mean, uh, people saying, oh, well, he just says the same thing over and over again, because it's fairly simple, but it's extremely important. All right. If you want to make progress, you've got to pay attention to these. You've got to pay attention to every single thing you put in your mouth, mm-hmm. for goodness mm-hmm. sakes, because the, the gunas are, are manifesting through the types of food we eat. Right. And you know that we want to be sattvic. So, um, so I, I, I really just, just kind of keep um, using that line. It's very simple. The healthy body, healthy mind healthy spirit, you know, you, I've actually heard that uh, chanted somewhere. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think it makes sense if you present it to people that way. Right. That this is this is alchemy, you know, this is transformation. Right. And uh, recently I've been teaching a class on um, the holy science, and, and in that book, um, you know, Shri Tishwar really mentions the importance of the Om vibration. Mm. And, um, you know, when I first got that book and read it, I thought I understood it. <laughs> but yeah. the more and more I read it, the more I thought, I'm not quite sure. So over years of contemplation, it became clear uh, just how important learning to turn within and experience that Om vibration is. But then one day I was reading, um, it was a commentary by Lahiri Mahasaya, and this sentence stuck out to me. He, he said, even the body is the Om vibration. Mm. 
And, and once that occurred to me, I started to recognize that, well, you know, if the body is the own vibration, then even when you practice body awareness or when you're taking care of your body, you're getting some kind of somatic body work, that all these things are, are doing what is necessary to give, what, the, the chance or the experience to, to kind of have that, that breakthrough moment. Mm. Um, so uh, just to finish up with our, with our talk here, I, I know we've got uh, some things we need to get to today. Um, going back to the idea of the ohm vibration, mm. I, I know that when you first start hearing it, and Mr. Davis said this too, that maybe you're hearing uh, your nervous system or, or subtle frequencies within the, the brain. Um, how do you recommend that one just kind of get into that and then kind of go through it or, or go into it more? What kind of recommendations do you have for people? Um, well, usually you know, it's going to be more pronounced in, in the quietest environment you can find. Right. Um, personally, uh, my experience is that I hear it when I go into sacred places. Yes. Church, you know, temples and so on. Um, but in the beginning, I think if, it, if you are just hearing your own internal uh, sounds, electrical or uh, vascular system or whatever, you, you, the, the um, aim is to keep going through it, keep trying to go through it, keep going deeper. I think I have a whole section in there on hearing the ohm as well, but right. the, one of the keys for sure is blocking out all outside sound. You, know, you can even use um, noise-canceling headphones if you can afford them. They're really expensive. Bows right. are great. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it is, uh, it, again, in my experience, it is much more pronounced in sacred environments. And so it is more likely, if you don't hear it yet, that that's where you're going to hear them in a place right. where, where um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it, it becomes more manifest. Well, I remember, you know, the first time walking into the meditation hall at CSA and being like, what, yeah. what, is, what is that? <laughs> so. you know, it's like, is that the ohm? <laughs> you're right. But to, you don't, I mean, yes, it, what you're saying, going to places like that and really uh, being at CSA in that meditation hall, it, it's, it, it can be very obvious. Um, but it can develop in your own, like if you have a space sure. where you, you constantly meditate, that also starts to create that effect too, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, my house is littered with yantras, mantras, and tantras, you know, just... Uh, to quote uh, James Kelleher, the Vedic astrologer. Um, and, you know, these things all carry certain energies, um, but it, the whole house pretty much vibrates ohm. And I think anywhere you meditate and make your private space is going to have that. It is important to baffle the sound, though, if you can. I think very early on, my best meditation, uh, my, I called it my cave, was my closet, because <laughs> all my clothes were in there. And it muffled and baffled the sound. And and uh, it, it seemed to be um, conducive to, to internalizing uh, awareness so you could hear the sounds. So. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, hopefully people will, will pick up on that and kind of get into it a little bit more. And just in closing, um, would you like to say anything more about the Infinite Potential Institute? I mean, we just, you just told me about it before we got started. So um, what, what is that work? And, you know, what, what would you like people to know about this, sure. this process? Um, you know, without getting into my whole story, um, I started doing my clinical work because I was trying to help people wake up more quickly. 
But what happened is my clinical work began to, um, you know, attract uh, 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 medic, you know, the sort of the medical model. So for many years, I've been treating all kinds of disorders and problems. Um, but recently, uh, um, I've decided that I want to change gears, so to speak. And, you know, I'm always going to be working with uh, uh, people who are suffering um, from severe issues. But we're, we're moving now towards this infinite potential, um, which is the name, Infinite Potential Institute. We're moving towards that model and more towards the, the meditative model. And what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, mm -hmm. this is really what I want to emphasize now. And I'm in the position now in my life where I can do that. Um, I've, uh, I've worked hard to create a foundation um, so that we can really begin to use this technology, which is really needed now, uh, for, um, for not just you know, taking care of people's post-traumatic stress disorder or addictions or whatever, we can use it, as you say, now um, Now people are ready for yoga, when people are ready for these, I really think this is sort of a, a um, I don't, I'm not speculating about what this whole pandemic means, but I think wake up call uh, certainly is, is one potential description. But I think that we, we've got to pay attention now that the healer is within, there's something manifesting through us that we can tap into. And that's really what the Infinite Potential Institute is going to be about, tapping into that using technology, using our spiritual uh, teachings and principles to facilitate that whole process. So that's what we're moving towards. Okay. And will this be based in, in Georgia? or? Yeah, this can be our home base. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we've got connections everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, still have big connections in California and Europe. So my wife is um, from Vienna, Austria. Uh -huh. So we're, we, we're, uh, we're, we're launching it all now, working very hard on it. Good. Well, excellent. Well, I want to thank you for being here today. And um, those of you uh, who want to learn more about Marty's work, uh, you can look at the links below this video or within this podcast and um, find The Brain Sutures. It's a wonderful book. And try to find that chapter on hearing the own vibration because in my mm -hmm. experience, that's very worthwhile. So thank you for being here, Marty. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. Yeah. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.